Welcome to another Artist Conversation brought to you by Peak Silent Radio. On Friday, June 17th, the Peak Silent House Concert Series helps kick off Peaks Fest with a performance by the Winterford Haran Quartet at the New Bracket Church from 8 to 9.30 p.m. I had the pleasure of talking with Winifred Haran about her lifelong passion for music, her years performing with the Celtic supergroup Solace, and her recent ventures with the Winifred Haran Quartet. The conversation left me excited about the show and inspired by the power of music of all kinds to bring people together and move them. I hope you have a similar experience. Maybe a good place to start is hearing a little bit about what your experience with Peaks Island is and, and how you're feeling about returning to the island. Well, I have to say uh, the only reason I know about Peaks Island is because a very dear friend lives on Peaks and she is responsible for this concert series, um, Ellen Mahoney and her family, who I have known for quite some time now. And she um, has been asking me um, since before COVID <laughs> to come up and perform. And it just it just didn't happen. Like I was explaining to you uh, just earlier, you know, COVID kind of threw a monkey wrench into a lot of musicians' plans and careers and kind of derailed the, yeah, derailed the whole industry. Um, I had sort of stopped gigging just very briefly before COVID anyway, because I moved home to New York to take care of my mom and my dad who were elderly. Um, so I had, I think my last gig before the actual shutdown was out on the West coast in like February of 2020. Mm. And I was supposed to be going out again. So that was a successful run, but COVID the word was out. Like we, we were starting to hear about this, you know, illness, but it still didn't feel like, oh, it, it, it won't come here. You know, that whole thing. It's not, it's very far away and all that. But um, literally within a week, you know, I was supposed to be flying out again to the West Coast and that run got canceled, like just completely shut down um, pretty quickly. It was amazing how fast everything just spiraled, you know. So yeah, but I, 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 the last time I was up on peaks, I've been up there a few times now, um, would have been maybe the summer of 2019. Uh, and I went out to visit, um, the Mahoney's and I just think it's one of the most stunning places. Um, I can very much relate to the sort of, uh, vibe and atmosphere cause I grew up, uh, down here in New York on Long Island on the Atlantic Ocean. Um, of course, it's not, it's not a, I grew up in a peninsula called Rockaway Beach and uh, that's where I am now. So the ocean and uh, the sea and sailing and, you know, walking your dogs on, it's all part of my DNA as well. So peaks kind of really felt very comfortable to me. So beautiful. So I, I, I'm really looking forward to get back to getting back up there um, just for its beauty, but also to see friends, to see Ellen and her family and um, and really play music. Yeah, very excited to, and it's kind of, um, it's kind of special that it's my first gig back too, because Ellen and I have a, um, you know, a very deep friendship. So it's, it's, it's kind of a cool thing. It's, it's funny how the world and the universe works. Yeah, very true. Tell me a little bit about your friendship yeah. with um, Ellen. So she had mentioned to me when um, introducing the two of us 
that you actually are in some ways responsible for for getting her inspired to do this concert series. Can do you remember back then what that was like? I do. I do remember Ellen um, speaking to me about uh, wanting to pursue some um, some of her interests, obviously like artistic and. I know that she had been working with the Illustration Institute and, you know, she said her, her, her daughters were still at home. Like if this was even probably pre-high school for her two daughters that were still at home. And I think maybe she was, um, you know, she loves music and she loves the arts and she's a huge supporter. And I think that she was just trying to, you know, figure out a way to bring that to her community. I mean, I, I, I know very surely that community is very important to Ellen and, and her family. Um, and so I think that was sort of, and, and she, like, I think, you know, she, she asked like, do you think it's a good idea? Or, you know, she kind of had it in her mind of what it was going to be. And it just sounded really organic and um, yeah. Community based grassroots sort of vibe. And it just, it just sounded really like a great idea. And um, I think she, I think she probably went for it like maybe the following summer, if I'm not mistaken. I can't remember the timeline because COVID has kind of blurred everyone's timelines. But um, <laughs> but yeah. So honestly, I, I I really didn't have much um, to do with the actual like heavy lifting at all of getting getting Ellen sort of in motion to do this. She she she, you know told me about the idea. I thought it was a great idea. I said I would come up and play at some point and uh then things just went <laughs> things just kind of went south uh for the music industry. Um I know Ellen's been putting on concerts now for probably close to 4 years and then obviously had to take probably a little bit of a sabbatical like everybody else, but uh, I'm just really delighted that that it's up and running and I know just from what I've heard and seen like she has some really great artists and musicians coming through there. Um, you know, make, making that trip out to the island is a really special place. And um, from the lineups and the gigs that I've seen from the past and what's coming up in, in, in the, the near future and, you know, further on down the summer, it, just some really great musicians, you know, from the Celtic tradition, from the bluegrass tradition, from the old timey tradition, um, French Canada, even I think you know. Mm -hmm. So it's a great, it's a great opportunity and a great thing for the island. I I, I think you'd probably agree. Like, you know, just oh, to have it right, th yeah, to have it right there, and it's something that I think um, will definitely grow organically. Yep, absolutely, and I, I think you're right. I think that. In some ways, it's a really good symbiotic relationship, both for the island to be able to have access to these you know, great musicians. And then also, I think there is definitely something for people who have an artistic bent to come out and be on an island like this. When, you, when you're out here or when you're even at home near the water, is that a source of inspiration? Like, does it help fill the well creatively for you? Oh, God, that's such a great question. I, I yes. And, and so, yes, it depends on the day, like... So the ocean and the beach, as you, as islanders and um, people that are, are are living that life, know it's it's company. Which so during the pandemic and during the lockdown, I I honestly 
can't think of a better place. Uh, I, well, I was home and I was with my parents and I was kind of taking care of them, but the beach was like a sanctuary for me because the beach wasn't shut down. <laughs> you could mm-hmm. still get out there and walk on the beach and be close to the water and just like, uh, you know, for everything that we all went through sort of our tactile relationships to the world, I guess, like everything became on the computer and over the phone and, you know, music, concerts, uh, teaching lessons, everything like Zoom. No one had ever heard of Zoom. Well, I hadn't heard of Zoom, you know, so our lives like turned into Zoom. Our lives turned into this complete, just like, you know, different kind of vortex, right? Like, um, so tactily, in a tactile way, that felt really bizarre to me and to a lot of other musicians I know. Um, it, it just, it was a great thing. Thank goodness we had it though uh, as a platform, but it, it in a tactile sense, because music to me is so tactile physically, like it's something that you can touch and uh, physically touch, but also like hearing it and feeling it through the computer is never going to feel the same as hearing it and feeling it in a church or in a, in a concert hall or in a, in a venue, whatever the venue is, or even outside at a festival. It, there's just nothing that compares to that feeling. And I found myself feeling that connection, going back to your question, about like walking on the beach and being close to the ocean, that sense of the, the the tactile relationship to nature, but also what it does to you spiritually and like to your soul. It was very close. It was the closest thing I could kind of feel myself get to as as regards to like my my music or being creative or having having that kind of a connection. And I and I truly think that that was one of the things that was so bizarre about the lockdowns for not just well musicians yes but artists not and I and I I, I shouldn't even say that for for society in general I I just think that was the most bizarre thing about it was that our physical emotional and spiritual relationship to what we're normally connected to us around us on a daily basis was so. Um, compromised or or altered you know it was really bizarre and so that's why like I recently got to play so I have done some playing and I've gotten together with friends and I've been doing some recording and there's been some local gigs like here in the neighborhood that I've gone to and I was in I went into the city um, since like the COVID thing has lifted lockdowns have lifted and you know obviously it's still out there but um, I have gone to a few gigs and it still feels a little <laughs> it still feels a little um tentative but it's getting there and um yeah so I'm just I'm so excited to just kind of be able to f- feel that again and feel that connection with the players around me which I couldn't feel on the computer um you know so the ensemble thing like sitting next to each other and actually physically feeling each other's um breathing and 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 just body language and everything that goes into like playing in an in an ensemble the the sonic relationship the vibrations everything that 
that was such a gorgeous uh, feeling to have again, you know? So, yeah, I, I hope that kind of answers your question. The beach, the beach is always going to feel like, the ocean is always going to feel like an ensemble member. I hope that doesn't sound too cheesy, but it, it, it kind of feels like, you know, I was by myself. I was with the dogs on the beach, but the ocean was always there as like another part of my little <laughs> posse. <laughs> Yep. <laughs> you know, and, and my dad used to say to me, like, you'll never feel lonely. You'll never feel lonely if you have the ocean there, mm-hmm. you know. And uh, I know people that have grown up and live on the water really know what that means. Um, so, yeah, exactly, it was yeah. a gift. Yeah, yeah. You know that, right? I mean, mm-hmm. there's nothing like yeah, I think it. a lot of people out here can relate to that for sure. So I'd heard you reference your dad and um, and talking about the ocean and, and never feeling alone. So it it seems from the little bit that I've have you know read up about you um, that your dad played a pretty big role in your in your music life too. Can you talk a little bit about that? Absolutely, yeah. So dad, um, I came home, uh, Chris, about three years ago. Um, I had been touring for. Oh God, thirty years or something, and uh, you know, insane touring, like nonstop, all over the place, all over the United States, all over the world, um, at a very uh, crazy pace. Um, you know, something that I look back on now, and especially after the COVID lockdowns and nothing happening, it it really feels like it was a roller coaster. Um, but. I say that to you because like I came home initially, um, it was before COVID. So I was still kind of touring, but not to the extent that I had been. I had been playing with a band called Solace for 25 years and we had toured extensively. And that band took a sabbatical back in 2017. So I started playing with a couple of um, people Utsaf Lal on piano, who's actually coming with me for the Peaks Island show next week um, on the 17th of June. Anyway, back to dad. So yeah, dad Dad was um, a very talented, uh, very talented man, kind of like, I think he passed away, actually. He, he lived for a year after I came home. I took care of him, took care of him for a year. He had um, leukemia, cancer, and he passed back in September of 2020, and it was cathartic in many ways. Um, oh, so many ways that I, we don't even have time to go into it. But like his his influence on me musically, um, he's probably my biggest influence because of his um, direction. You know, as a as a young father, he he was a musician himself. He was also a wooden boat builder, a carpenter, a master carpenter, very well read, um, just kind of like a, a bit of a renaissance man. Like, but um, he was a fantastic musician, a jazz trumpet player. He played piano. Um, when he was younger, he had gotten like a, a full scholarship to attend like the Royal Academy in London for classical piano. And he turned that down. Something else came up. I don't know. He ran away with like a jazz band and like the life of a young sort of like, you know, uh, rebellious um, musician, which I definitely emulated, you know. So anyway, but as a young girl, he he he, he knew and 
you know, I'm very grateful to him for this now as I get older, um, for really giving his kids everything music. Like we had piano lessons, we had violin lessons, we had dance, our, our arts, the creative side of life. We had dance lessons. We, you know, he made us read poetry. Um, we went to regular school, but I almost felt like at the same time, I at the same time I was going to regular school, I was also being homeschooled by him in some like amazing, crazy way. But um, yeah, he, he, he got me playing piano when I was a little girl, about five, six years old. He was my first teacher. And um, basically he wanted us to have everything and music was really important to him. I think he thought that like if a young child learns music, they have a way better chance at learning so much more and, and, and having access to so much more. Like it helps your memory. It helps your, um, yeah, your brain development. Anyway, that's one side of it. The other side of it was that he was also, you know, he was also quite artistic himself and it was important to him that we had that. And it was also a cultural, he wanted us to be very aware of our cultural roots. So we here growing up in New York, which was like, and still is obviously the hotbed of culture. But back when I was growing up as a kid, it was a very like immigrant um, pockets of immigrant cultures, you know, now it's all beautifully kind of woven together. But back then, back then, like when my parents emigrated over from Ireland in the late fifties, you know, the Irish emigrated to Rockaway Queens or the Bronx in New York. And the Italians went to, parts of Queens and parts of Brooklyn and the Polish people settled in parts of Queens and Brooklyn, different neighborhoods. And um, that's just how it was. And so we were surrounded by um, Irish immigrants and Italian immigrants. And, but like dad um, really felt like he became more connected to his Irish culture when he emigrated to New York, which is really crazy to think about, but not mm -hmm. so much because that happens, I think. Like um, immigrants, when they get to a new land or a new place, I think they they long for home or they miss home. Back then anyway, before the advent of the internet and you know, they long for their their homeland so much that they they make sure that their culture is still thriving in their everyday lives. You know, it was really dad's um, hand in 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 making sure that his kids were connected not only to the arts, um, but to, to their culture, where they came from. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Do you remember when it happened for you that you thought that this wasn't just going to be part of, like, what you did as part of your day-to-day -day life, but as something that you wanted to pursue professionally? <laughs> That's funny. I think it was when I got my SAT results back in in in, in high school. <laughs> I uh, I'm, I'm I'm half joking, but I'm kind of not. Like I always knew since I was a little girl that I loved playing music. I it 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 felt it it felt the most comfortable to me. I don't know. It was it, it felt like a safe place, or it felt like a 
yeah, a very safe place. And I was also I was also good at it. And I liked I I was the kind of kid that um I liked when I was good at something, you know? Like most kids, right? So yeah, I I always knew that I wanted to to be a musician or a dancer. Like there was a long time that I felt like, oh, I'll be a ballerina when I grow up. Like a lot of young girls, you know, I'd love to be a ballerina. Or young 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 men now these days can can mm-hmm. say I want to be a ballet dancer. But I think when the penny really dropped for me was when I was a teenager and, you know, getting ready to take the SATs, where do you want to go to college? Because that was another thing my father was like, everyone's going to college. Even though he couldn't afford to send us all to college, he worked his butt off to make sure that we all got to go to college. Um, That was a no, that was, you know, no discussions. Like everyone was going to college. And when I took the SATs in high school, I was like, what am I going to do? I don't really, I mean, I was good in English um, also because of dad, because he he was like making us read poetry and read so many books at home. And I love that. But I was like, you know what? I, I don't, I don't need to take the SATs or I don't need to actually prepare for the SATs because I'm going to go to, I'm going to be a musician. I'm, I'm going to go to like a conservatory somewhere. Cause I was already um, at, as a teenager, I was already like enrolled in a uh, a music school down here in New York, like a prep school, called the Manus School of Music. Obviously, schooling and education was very important to my father, um, and he keeps coming back into the story because honestly, his hand was involved in all of this. It was like, um, even though they were struggling financially, um, anytime there was word of like an audition for a scholarship or can we get like funding or you know a grant or this or that. Dad was on it, you know, and so um, that's kind of that was in the back of my head. It was like, well, I can, I, I'm, I'm kind of good at this, and I love it so much, and I don't want to go to normal college because I don't want to be normal. Like, I want to be, I want to be an artist. I want to, yeah. So that was kind of it. It was like maybe my junior sophomore year in high school. I was like, I'd love to do this like for my life and like be this be this, this is how I want to, I, I didn't think make my living, but this mm-hmm. is what I want to be. Can you like think back to then and, and think about, you know, as the graduation's approaching, <clears throat> how you felt like, what did you think? Like, were you like, oh God, what's, what's next? How did you find a way? <clears throat> yeah, big time. And most conservatory students do, or most like art or design or photography or painting students or, uh, ballet dancers or and anyone any any student that is coming out of a creative institution has a moment before they actually know that they're going to be leaving the institution or what I what we termed it as like the safety bubble of the institution because while you're in the in that safety bubble like you're playing in orchestra every day you're playing string quartets every day you're you're going to sight singing class you're you know, you're in opera orchestra, you're like just completely immersed in it. And you don't really have time. I mean, it feels like, oh my God, this is so fulfilling and this is so busy. And this is so, there's so much to work on and so much to learn. Like, will you don't even ever think about being ready to actually go out there and do it. I mean, I think, well, I shouldn't say that. There, 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 there were 
certain students that probably had a higher confidence level. It was a very competitive um, environment, um, I also remember. So honestly, there was really no time to think about, again, it was like being in high school. Maybe it happened or the, the, that penny dropped maybe for me at the conservatory, maybe my junior year, mm-hmm. where I was like, oh, wow, I only have one more year here. And then I'm going to have to go out and like audition for orchestras and, you know, because I was going for a performance major, which is so ridiculous <laughs> because <laughs> it just is. I mean, it doesn't, I, I just don't, I, I can kind of shoot ahead 35, 40 years. I was hired back at that same conservatory uh, to be on faculty and seeing the students uh, as young students and me being on the other side of the table or the other side of the classroom, part of me felt, part of me felt really like I was questioning my ethics about being, um, trying to be an inspiration to them to go out there and do this. When I had been at it for 35, 40 years at this stage, I knew how extremely challenging and difficult it was to actually make a living or be able to sustain a life as a as a musician, some sort of life. And I mean, look, it, I'm not going to lie to you. In the beginning, like I was waitressing, I was <clears throat> working in like a photography studio and I was doing string quartets on the side. And, you know, you kind of cobble together. You kind of actually do anything you have to do to be able to do your music. So you graduate, I know, I'd say 90% of my graduating class, maybe 85% or something like that. When we graduated, half of us were waitressing or, you know, just trying to make ends meet, but still really working hard on our music and like doing auditions. And, you know, it was, there's sort of like a limbo period that, Mm -hmm. that exists. And it's, for some people it exists for the rest of their lives. Um, I realized very soon after I got out of the conservatory, after a few auditions for like classical ensembles that I didn't have the nerves of steel that you, (laughs) that you actually need to go through those audition process. Like Mm. it was again, insanely competitive. Um, And so, you know, I, I, I got into a few like small orchestras uh, one or two I was going to take, and I didn't. I don't know, something in my gut just said this didn't feel right. And I said, let me just kind of knock around for a little bit longer and see if I can do some more freelancing. And and um, I ended up moving back to New York City, and I got involved in, like, the scene down there. And, again, I was waitressing for a couple of years and doing what people do and um, fell back into, like, the roots folk music scene that I kind of grew up with. And I'm not going to say it happened overnight. It didn't. But then like I met other musicians and that's kind of like the long and short of it is that's when Solace was, the idea of Solace was kind of born. Um, you know, five of us living in New York City at the time, all doing different freelance things and in different bands and, you know, understanding and realizing how good these musicians were in our immediate, you know, 
area around us and we were just like we should start a band and that's really how it happens and um and I can't say that that's I know that that's not how it happens for everybody but it's how it happened for us and then we literally worked our butts off for 25 years on the road you know we we did we recorded like 12 or 13 albums and we said yes to everything and we lived out of suitcases and really lived the life lives of of musicians of of working musicians and it was amazing and it was frightening and it was not stable but then there were really good years where we're like oh my god we're actually making some money this this is this is this is great like this is okay you know and it never felt like work mm-hmm. which is also sounding very idealistic and romantic but it didn't the, like the work part of it was like getting on the airplanes and getting in the bus and driving 10 hours to do like a two hour show and you know everyone thinks it's like oh god you're so lucky you have the life you, you guys have the life <laughs> And we did, and I would never change it. I would never change it in a million years. I would do this. I would do it all over again. Um, but yeah, so that's that. And then you know, but 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 I wanted to go back to that the the idea of me questioning my kind of ethics when I went back to the conservatory, knowing like how difficult it was and is. And especially now, like I, especially now after COVID, like um, to see the industry, the music industry and the arts industry so, um, so decimated really, and and just you know knocked like knocked flat, and 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 trying to recover, um, it was already a pretty precarious. <laughs> you know, situation for a lot of, not just the musicians, but pr- pr- promoters and, you know, teachers. And like, it's it's not, it's not a stable, but I mean, you don't go into it because it's stable. I think I want to sort of follow two trains of thought. First is, I imagine you were talking about a stereotype, but a really well-trod path that a lot of musicians have to take, right? Where you're doing waitressing or you're, you're doing other jobs on the side. Was there ever a moment where you thought, gee, I got to stick with, you know, whatever the side job was, or I've got to, you know, pull off the, off the path here. Um, Honestly, I can say no, there wasn't, but I know other musicians around me, not in my particular little orbit, because we were actually, um, we were kind of on a really good path, but it was, the other musicians that I knew at, at that had come out of the conservatory at the same time with me, or just not even the conservatory, just even musicians that I met who were doing, working really hard to try to keep it so that they could keep doing their music. Um, were like, this isn't sustainable. Like I, I I'm not paying the rent. Um, I don't know if I want to live like this for the rest of my life. You know, um, it's too it's too risky. There's no security, you know, um, and there really isn't. It like it really is a life of like every day is going to be different, which is part of the appeal for some of us. But um, I had a lot of friends that completely changed careers, like one, and and a couple of them, like it was it was so like gut wrenching because they were really good friends of mine and 
they were supreme musicians, like some of the best musicians I knew. And and like one guy decided that he was just going to give it up and like become a um, a meteorologist. Or, and and I was just like that. That's just crazy. Like I I couldn't get my head around it. I was like, but I you know I I, I supported the decision because I understood. I was in the middle of understanding how hard it was, but for some reason there was no, I wasn't, I wasn't prepared really to, I wasn't prepared to not let it happen. However it happens, you know, you could ask me like, or you could ask any musician at any point in their lives, that same question. And all the stories, like, I'm not telling you, I'm not telling you, some horror stories like there were times where we're like oh my god we're you know we show up at a gig and like nobody was there huh. we're like well this totally isn't gonna pay the rent you know what do we do well let's just keep going and see what happens and i think you do have to have a bit of that like um resilience and fearlessness is that the right word and be willing to um you know <laughs> guys, we have to pool all of our money together this month to save so-and-so from getting evicted. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Let's talk about the, um, you know, the gig where you show up and, and nobody's there for a minute. I feel, it feels like now <laughs> in the 21st century, that so much revolves around praise maybe, or just like public affirmation, right? We're looking at likes, mm-hmm. we're looking at followers, we're looking at all this data about who's out there watching and listening. It, how how do you have you sensed a, a change in either your own way of looking at performance or the way that your students do because of that? Has that has that changed the way people are relating to their art? Absolutely, I I one hundred percent. I think I guess we're talking about like the internet here, really. Mm-hmm. Ultimately, like we're talking about the internet and the the advent of the internet. I know, like, so when I was a teenager and you know my early career as a musician um that it didn't exist so we didn't have social media we didn't have facebook we didn't have instagram you didn't have to have an artist page i don't even sometimes even now i don't even know what that really means unless you're <laughs> you know i don't know the rolling stones you know i i i, I know that it helps i'm i'm kind of a little bit phobic of of social media so maybe i'm not the right person to be asking anyway about that it makes me anxious and um i i do think there have been like really amazing benefits so you can get you have access to so much more young students young musicians oh my god they they can have a master class every night at home just by going on and checking out YouTube. They can watch like Itzhak Perlman playing like, you know, a Bach partita over and over and over and over again and like really get something out of it or, or you know, uh, any, any, any other million examples like that. Um, we we kind of had to seek it out like old school, like read about it or go into the listening library and we were listening to vinyl records. and um, But as far as like, as far as like how it's changed audience participation or getting people out to gigs or how people hear about gigs, I still think there is a real um, human need 
for word of mouth. Word of mouth honestly still feels so organic to all of us. I don't care how comfortable you are with the internet or how much you're loving Facebook or all this, like still like talking to somebody about even, did you get tickets to so-and-so or are you going or did you hear about it? Yeah, maybe then you have to go on the internet and get tickets, but hearing or talking about the arts and music with people in real time is exactly the same feeling that you get about like, you know, sitting at a show or talking about the show right after the show, you know, it's done other things. It's made, it's made people more anxious and Mm self-conscious. And so if you're already like worried about being good enough, (laughs) you don't, you should not, you should not be putting your stuff up on Facebook and, you know, freaking yourself out about it. Cause that's a whole other, that's a whole other part of the psychology of like social media. Like it's just, it's a head wrecker. Mm -hmm. That's where I thought you were going to go with that. (laughs) So yeah, I was just wondering if maybe you see in your students, maybe the feeling or like the, like a multiplied feeling of how you might've felt when you show up at a gig and nobody's there, if they have like a low number of like followers on Facebook or whatever, or if they're verbalizing like, Oh, I don't know how many people have listened to my, you know, digital album. Yes. Yes. Or I only got like five hits on, you know, Spotify Mm -hmm. or five downloads or five, this five streams, five, the language is different. Mm -hmm. The language is different because it's a new medium. It's a new platform, but the, the feelings, you know, I think, I don't know though. Yeah. The feelings are the same. So it's the same sort of feeling of like, I'm not good enough or Oh my God, why didn't anyone come to our show? I'm I'm exaggerating. Like, I don't think Solace ever went to a show. We might have gone and there was low numbers and we weren't happy with that, but it was never like completely empty. <laughs> but um it's still that that feeling of like, you know, human feelings. I hope anyway. I I, I everything's happening so fast these days. I hope I do see some change in like young people's um, the way they're reacting to and what it does to them, social media, like not getting enough likes on a video hit or on a on a video that they put up of themselves playing or, you know, I think it can be um, dangerous because it's not real. <laughs> mm-hmm. it's, right. it, 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 it's, it's not real. Like it, it's this place that you can actually disconnect from and go back and practice for three more hours and you're going to feel way better. Mm. You know, I know it's real for the younger kids today though. Like I, I I'm, this is like, gener- I'm, t- this is generate I'm sounding like I'm coming from the older generation, which I am, but um, I get scared and frightened for my students and younger kids today of what the ultimate effects of the information and the access and the social media and all of this stuff is doing to their feelings and their, and their emotional connection and, you know, how, how we're not prepared to evolve. Mm -hmm. I, I don't think as fast as everything is happening. And is that affecting, is that affecting creativity? Probably. But I don't know if we're going to know that yet for a long time, you know. Seems to me like kids are out there, like the level of playing and the level of musicianship is just like through the roof. Like, 
And I think that is because they have access to the internet and they're looking and listening and they're like sponges. So it's great for that. But like anything, I think you have to use it, you know, wisely. And, and mm-hmm. you know, we're not always so wise when we're 17, 18, 19, 20. We can get sucked into things that aren't good for us. And um, I do know that uh, from from many, like, experiences like being at festivals or camps there's nothing like sitting around like outside at night playing tunes nothing and i don't care what generation you're from i don't care if you're 85 years old or if you're 15 that feeling is the same for the 85 year old as it is for the 15 year old there's something that we humans understand about that and we know that it feels Right. <laughs> right. And we don't want to lose that. Right. We don't want to lose that. And that's the other thing I was talking about, the whole COVID situation with Zoom and having to feel something through a machine. It, it just felt so. It just felt so bizarre and so weird, <laughs> you know? Yeah. I don't think there's a number of likes on Facebook that can equate to the feeling that you get when you're present with somebody who was <laughs> really like in tune with, with what you're doing. Absolutely. Absolutely. A hundred percent, you know, and I can say possibly this, here's maybe a good, a good little example. If you're playing live to 10 people in an audience, if there's only 10 people there, I know that I know this. If you're, if you're if you're really true and passionate about what you're doing, you're gonna play just as well and just as I hope, like with as much passion and with as much care as you would if you were playing to a hundred and fifty thousand people on the internet streaming a show. Mm-hmm. And in some ways, to me the experience of playing to those 10 is way more those 10 people live is way more challenging, but way more satisfying and way more, way more of a connection. It just makes sense. Doesn't it? I mean, humans, we we, we need that. Like, you know, I think it's the reason why music exists really, you know, not to get too philosophical about it, but it kind yeah. of makes sense. <laughs> it does make sense. But yeah. do you think you can put your finger on what it is about it? Like as a, as a musician, as somebody who does perform in front of people, mm-hmm. do you know what it is that makes that connection so special? Oh, I think, I think it's being able to communicate without saying anything. Like without actually words or without verbalizing or without like outright, outright like action or emotion or visible, uh, like there's this communication that happens that I, we, we, you really can't describe because it's happening. It, okay. So say like a musician is in their bedroom practicing by themselves, that feeling happens to them, but but it it changes when you put one other person in the room with them because you're sharing something then 
do you know what I mean? So then you put three, four more, five, 10, 15, 20, 30, 50, 70 more people into the room. Then I'm from the stage sharing it with you. I'm getting something back from you. You're sharing something with me from the audience. And then the other 200 people in the room are also doing that with each other or doing that with the band or, you know, there's this, there's this weird, like, oh, beautifully indescribable uh, communication that's happening. So, yeah, I think it's just magic. Like, I think that's, it's kind of magic. Yeah, it, it definitely is magic because mm-hmm. we all try to describe it. Like, what, how, how do you feel like when you put on one of your favorite bands or favorite albums or you hear one of your favorite songs from like when you were growing up? Right. Not we. It transports you. Yes. Yes. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. Yeah. I was just gonna say it transports you, right? And I I think that that um, when you're all together, right, even more so than when it's a record, maybe you're being transported someplace together. Absolutely. (laughs) But certainly, yeah. Mm -hmm. But certainly, it is a. It's an experience that changes you, and I I don't necessarily mean because that sounds kind of schlocky, I guess, but. I don't mean in like necessarily the most profound and earth shattering way, but it changes you even in small ways just to have, you know, the needle hit the record. Absolutely. Yes, 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 yes. And I think that word transport is perfect because we really don't know where it takes us. We can't describe that either. It, it takes us to a place that's like it, it's like it's in our soul. And we don't know what that is. I mean, we know we know it's there, but we don't know what it is. And it's, I just think, yeah, it transports all of us. Like if you're able to experience it together in a, in a in a in a venue or in a church or in a around a campfire or on the beach at night, wherever you can play a few tunes or sing some songs or go listen to someone like read poetry. You know, it's. It's that it's all about like that human connection and and being taken someplace else that's not where we are right now, which sometimes isn't the nicest place to be. Do you know? It's it's <laughs> right. it's also escapism, you know. Mm-hmm. Um. So yeah, so that's yeah, that's. I love talking about this stuff because it just I don't know. I do. I just think it it feels so. Um beautiful to, to to be able to understand that like we we're not lost yet you know right. like we are not lost yet like we still have the ability and the capabilities to get it right and reconnect and and you know even if only some of us do mm-hmm. or i mean exactly. it would be great if it would be great if like most of us did i do think that in general most of us do you know, so there's still hope. Yeah. 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 And I think when you were talking before about, um, you know, tentative steps, right, after COVID and, and what's the music world going to be like post-COVID, I, I wonder, well, maybe I don't wonder, I, I think, I hope that what you're saying, that sort of deep longing and people for that kind of connection is going to to carry us through, right? Because uh, I, I, I agree with you. I don't think we've lost it. And I think that maybe there will be sort of an unleashing of, of desire for people to have that connection again, to have that in their lives. Absolutely. I hope so. I hope that that is the 
like collective shift that might have happened while we were all like suffering and like upset and worried and frightened and disconnected and like, oh my God, what's happening to this place that we're all stuck on together? Like we, th- things were, things weren't great before COVID, but it certainly like, right. it certainly gave us an opportunity to really think about what's important and what means, what really, what's really meaningful. Like, and I, 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 you know, I hope that most of us got it or at least thought about it, you know, um, because there's a huge power in like collective thought and collective like hope. Right. You know, and I think that's also part of like being able to deliver a, a really beautiful night of music is that it gives it gives the audience not just the audience, it gives the performance as well a sense of hope and like, yeah, connection again, hope and connection and, and, you know, whatever the, whatever, whatever the artist and the band is trying to communicate, it's going to be different for each person in the audience too. You know that like everyone's not Mm -hmm. hearing it the same way, which is also beautiful. Like someone might hear like a really sad piece and it, it might not stir what I consider to be sad when I'm playing might not be sad. (laughs) You know, someone might not be thinking about something sad. They might be thinking about something really brave or beautiful or, you know, powerful as opposed to like sad and depressed, which sometimes kind of helps your music, believe it or not, but (laughs) Mm -hmm. it's all emotion, you know? Yeah. Oh yeah. I agree with that. Cause I think even like if you were to go into all of our, own like personal playlists right or or the albums that we turn to when when we really need music i think some people mm-hmm. turn to music that's going to like really you know pick them up and just like boom 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 like re- relentlessly happy sounding and then for other people they want the catharsis of the thing that sounds to them you know like wrenching and like absolutely 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 because it almost validates for me it 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 almost validates the feeling that I'm having before I put that sort of soul stirring, tugging at your heartstrings track on, it 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 validates it. It's like you know, because we as humans, we're always questioning. Well, I am anyway, but we're we're, we're always questioning our emotions. Like, oh my god, am I overreacting? Um, am I good enough? Or you know. Um, does he love me or, you know, do I really love him? Or, do, you know, do, do my neighbor, are my neighbors talking about blah, 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 all this stuff, all this stuff. And so you can put on a track and like, it can either lift you out of that or it can validate some of those feelings, you know, um, the world is falling apart. So I'm going to put on a track that's actually like going to be the soundtrack to that little mood I'm in. But, you know, honestly, 10 hours later, I'm going to put on, like a Rolling Stones track and lift myself out of it. Or, you know, I, I don't know why I'm always like saying the, uh, the Rolling Stones. I was kind of on a little bit of a Rolling Stones um, jaunt for the last while. I don't know why. That's great. I guess, I'm a big Stones yeah, fan too. And, me yeah. too. <laughs> yeah. That's good. And yeah. it's, it's great that we're talking about this on our station because we have a few other volunteer DJs who 
are really huge into the Beatles and they feel like it's either Team Beatles or Team Stones. And <gasps> I don't feel that way. I think you can like them both. <laughs> I do not. I am with you. I do not feel that way at all. And I've always wondered about that, um, you know, Team Beatles, Team Rolling Stones. And mm-hmm. initially, when I remember being posed that question, I was way younger and I, I, my immediate answer was the Rolling Stones because I just felt like they were so much more rebellious and that's where I was at my, that point in my life. But like, oh my God, there's no such thing as you have to l- love one more than the other. I, I absolutely adore and love the Beatles and their, their icons, you know, um, they're mm-hmm. different, but the Stones are like icons and amazing as well. Like, and they're different and that's what it's about. Right. Like, you know, you, who, who would want the two bands to sound the same? Then you have two, two bands that sound like the Beatles. It's ridiculous to me. <laughs> I mean, you, you need to have the Beatles and you need to have the Stones to be able to appreciate yes. so that the Beatles lovers can love the Beatles as much as they want to, because maybe they hate the stone so much, you know, <laughs> so they both need to exist. <laughs> yep. Yeah. I was going to say, what I think is so great about this part of the conversation too, is here you are somebody who's played, you know, trad and, and Celtic music and toured the world playing that music. And we're having a conversation about your passion for the Rolling Stones. Too. And I think that <laughs> in some ways that breaks down, sort of those um, artificial barriers that sometimes people put up when they say, well, I am a rock and roll person or I am a trad person. And I I wonder if you have any thoughts about that too. Oh, don't get me started. (laughs) (laughs) I am so ready to talk about that. Like I, I think, first off, I think labels are just ridiculous. Um, We need them at the grocery store, but we don't need them like in our music life or or our arts life or our you know creative life or you know we really don't i mean what are you doing to yourself if you put a label on yourself of what you are like you you are just limiting and cutting off so much of what else is out there like you're doing yourself such a disservice right and mm-hmm. um but then what what irks me even more is that the belief that you can only be one thing, you know, or that you can only love one thing. Like, it doesn't make any sense to me. It's like, it, it was just the, the, the example I used about the Beatles and the Stones. It's like, one has to exist. The, they both have to exist to love one or the other as much as we Team, team Stones or Team Beatles, whatever you want. To, um, mm-hmm. You know, I, I just think, I think it's ridiculous. I think, I think I would never, I encourage my students, I'd say first off, there's no such thing as right or wrong in music or, or the arts. There just isn't. And that's the beauty of it. Like there's no such thing. It, there's so much freedom in it. And so why would you limit that? Why would you put like yourself in a box of like, I'm, I'm only this, or I'm only going to listen to this, or, you know, you're not this enough. What is that? What, what does that even mean? I mean, if it, you're, you're not trad enough, or you're not, you sound too classical, or your, your blues aren't bluesy enough, or, you know, your slide steel isn't slide steely enough, or what, what I don't, who are these people that are saying this? Because I don't know. <laughs> When I hear when I when I hear it, it all sounds, yeah, it all sounds 
like what it's supposed to sound like. And if it was all the same, we would be so um, disappointed. And our lives would just be gray. Like our, our musical palette would just be gray, you know? Um, so yeah, I, I have a huge problem with like labels and putting things in boxes and, you know, of course things are genre specific. I mean, but that, that was also like genre, the, that was a term that was like created by the industry to like be able, when, when record stores existed, so you could go in there and, you know, where's the, where's the heavy metal section, you know, or where's the Celtic section or where's the folk music section or. Yeah, of course, look, I'm not, there's differences and they sound different and they're, but I I don't believe that um, they exist for any different reasons than what music in general exists for. So the argument is mute to me, like whatever, whatever music you're into is valid. Whatever you're listening to is valid. It's probably all really good. It is all really good, you know? I agree. I absolutely agree. I think, actually, I'm not sure if it was with Solace or if it was with a, a different um, band that you were performing with, but I know that several members of your band had written tunes that had sort of nods or influences from various genres, too. And I, I wonder, A, um, what that sort of meant to you to be able to do that, and then B, what kind of reaction did you get? when you were touring and you would be, you know, walking on stage with a fiddle and then all of a sudden playing something that sounds, um, you know, more like a rock song or more like a, like a country song, for example. Yeah. That's a really good question. Cause it happened quite a bit actually. And, um, number one, it didn't bother us. Um, because our intention was not to like ruffle feathers. It was, our intention was just to, make good music and make true music to what like true to ourselves right and so yeah the 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 solace in particular um you know across, uh, over the years but it, when we first started like everyone came from such eclectic backgrounds you know like i had a really strong classical background so that was i'm not going to say that was my forte in the band but like that that um, that sound exists on like some of the tracks where we, where we added string parts or, you know, string arrangements or string pads, things like that. Or say, uh, John Doyle, the original guitarist, like, I mean, he, he's just insane. Like he's a rock and roll fan, you know? Um, and so like his guitar playing reflected, um, his background, um, and all the music that he listened to. Seamus Egan listened to everything under the sun growing up, you know? Um, raised in Ireland, like champion on like all traditional instruments, but like was really into like indie music, really into classical music, really into jazz. Like, you know, Karen Casey, the initial singer, really into Billie Holiday, really into, I don't know, you, you name it. Like, and so it, it, it didn't, it would feel weird if we stifled that part of our musical identity you know what shaped us what formed us i'm not just talking about solace now i'm talking about any musician out there that mm -hmm. has been shaped by what they've listened to or what they love you know god like if if 
I would I would almost go as far to say is that you're you'd be lying to yourself if you didn't let that come out of you, uh, it, or it would feel really um, restricted or something. So again, um, I don't know if it's ever a conscious choice. It wasn't with us. Like we, it, it was never a conscious choice to write a certain way or. You know, we would take like maybe a Bob Dylan song and try to treat it with maybe you don't want to take a Bob Dylan song. You can't make it sound like Bob Dylan. He already did it. It was like amazing already. Mm -hmm. Like, (laughs) you know, it's like the best. Like, so what are you going to do? Because you love Bob Dylan. You're going to take a Bob Dylan song and try to do your best and try to put it in a different place, you know, with respect, of course, and not like always with respect and with taste and with, you know, um, you know, that, that's also another, that's a whole other thing of like, you know, you need to have, um, taste barometers or something. Um, (laughs) and I don't think you can have those if you're not well-rounded or if you don't, haven't listened to a ton of different stuff, if you restrict yourself to listening to only one type of thing, then yeah, be happy and stay there. But don't criticize others that have um, stepped outside and sought other sounds or other, um, yeah, other musics even, you know? Mm-hmm. I used to think it was quite, um, what's the word when you, oh no, it's not the right word. Uh, not worldly, when you, you know, when you're not, um, isolationist when you like being an isolationist mm-hmm. or something that's not the right word I was looking for but it'll do you know and 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 that doesn't feel right as a citizen of the world or as a musician of the world <laughs> you know so yeah you don't want to you can do that but I'm not gonna if that's how you want to do it I'm not gonna um, I'm not gonna tear you to bits if you choose to do that so you know don't don't tear me and my friends to bits if we choose to like go out in the world and see what's happening. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That actually brings us, I think back to the, to the show on peaks, which is um, going to be really kicking off in some ways uh, a weekend of a celebration of community out on the alley because it's occurring on what we call peaks fest. And there's going to be a lot yes! of different community events. Yeah. Hopefully you'll be Excellent. able to stick around for that. I'm not sure if you're planning on it, but. I, I I would love to. We're we're actually playing that night, and then we have to take off the next morning. Like, mm-hmm. to, we're playing a festival the next day. But um, yeah, Ellen was telling me that Peaks Fest is happening mm-hmm. that weekend. So hopefully, it'll be a great weekend for you guys. I hope the weather holds up and all that. Yes. Oh gosh. Yeah. Us too. <laughs> Usually June is very yeah. nice here, so fingers crossed. <laughs> yeah. Our, our gig, our our show is at the the New Bracket Church. Mm-hmm. So we'll be indoors anyway. And um, from what I've heard, I haven't actually been in the church, but Ellen was telling me it's really nice. There's a real piano in there. Yes. Mm-hmm. And honestly, I hope you can come to the show, Chris. Like, um, uh, Utsaf Lal is probably one of the most beautiful musicians I have ever heard in my life. And I consider myself, like, supremely lucky to be... Um, playing with him. He was one of my conser- uh, students at the conservatory. Uh, mm. He was a master student there and we ended up just playing together. 
And um, so we've been playing together for now about six years and he's coming, he's playing that show. And then John Williams, who's uh, the original accordionist from Sullis. So like, I know John for like 30 years. That's great. He's, yeah, it's so exciting. And uh, it's kind of the world and the universe works in such mysterious ways. But so he's playing in this new quartet and then Katie Grennan um, is playing fiddle. So there's actually two fiddles, which is really different for me um, cause Sullis was always just only one fiddle. Um, I'm loving it. It's, it's so much fun to have each other to play off of. And like, so I can play the melody and Katie will play a harmony or vice versa. It was really mm-hmm. frustrating just only getting to play the melody and, and in your head, there's like all these harmonies swimming around. So it's kind of like we have a little string section going on. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm really excited to, to, share some new music We're we're in the middle of making a new CD and, and we're kind of happy with the way things are going. I'll send you some tracks. So I'll send you yeah, some new tracks. You. They're not mixed though. That's the only thing. So yeah, I'm kind of bold, rebellious, <laughs> sending, sending them out into the world without being mixed, but it's okay. Mm-hmm. I'm sure it'll, if it'll sound great. If, if, yeah. If, if, and if people on peaks can hear it, maybe they'll, they'll like it enough to come out to the show. Right, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and I was hoping that you could give us um a sense of the the style or the sound because we've been talking about a lot of eclectic styles. What what mm. do you think the sound is like that people can expect? Oh, it's oh man, it's beautiful. Like uh, Utsaf Lal, the pianist, he is um Indian and he um he grew up he's from New Delhi, but he grew up in England and Ireland actually. And he studied um, Indian classical music. He's he's just an amazing player. Indian raga music is his specialty, but he's also one of the most beautiful just jazz, uh, Celtic. He can play anything. He can play anything. This this guy is just amazing. So he his 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 addition to the quartet just kind of makes it like I don't know. I can't really put a I can't really put a feel or what to call it. Um, he just provides such a beautiful bed of sounds for what the three of us are doing on top, which is mostly Irish. Um, we're doing some French waltzes too, though. I'm a huge fan of fan of um, French music, um, French accordion music, to be really specific. Like I just love that whole like Parisian sort of cafe music. So we're doing a few things like that. Um, some beautiful old Irish um, airs and yeah, it's just going to be, it's just going to be a lovely night. I, I, um, again, I, I really can't put it into like one box, you know, mm-hmm. musically, it kind of seeps out a little bit across a couple of different genres. Yeah. That sounds that's great. It, that's really. very fitting in a um, sort of long-term sense for, for Maine and for, and for New England because of that mix of, French style, Irish style. Yeah. There's certainly a a blend like that. That's, you know, very familiar up here. Yes, absolutely. Um, A lot of that up there. And I do think it'll be, I do think it'll resonate. And um, I know that people are going to be really, I know just from playing with Utsaf and I keep singing his praises because they must be sung. Like I, uh, I know this from playing with him in public at at performances before, um, the COVID lockdown, we were doing some touring together and 
just just his playing is just stunning it's it's otherworldly like it so um i really i'm 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 really wanting people to come out and hear him i i, I mean us too but he's just he's just a really special force like yeah he's a beautiful sort of um i can't describe his musical soul you know it's it's just beautiful so yeah that was I'd great to hear to come out and yeah, good. I hope I really hope to meet you up there and see you at the show. Yeah, I sure hope so too. I, I think we'll be able to. I think we'll be able to to stop by. Which oh, good. Oh, good. 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 Yeah, it's at um, what is it? It's at eight p.m. at the New Bracket Church. Mm -hmm. I think Ellen will be happy that I remembered that and said that on the show. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's great. So I think I'd like to close with um something that. Uh, person that sent to me when I was a teenager, teenager and it stuck with me my whole life. And I, I want to get your take on it because I kept thinking about it and listening to you talk about music. Mm -hmm. um, he had said to me to really find something that made me the most me that I could be. And that should be like everyone's mission in life. And I, I want to know if that's how you feel about um, your music career and, 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 and music in your life. Yes, is the answer to that. I don't even need to think about it. It it is definitely like probably when you when your friend said that to you, didn't it kind of feel really comfortable and safe and like didn't it make sense? Like and 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 you know, it just like you said, it it, it it's it, it just doesn't go to to music. Like it's like you should be your most authentic self. I mean, that's what we're all striving to be in life anyway, regardless of what you're doing. And, you know, it makes it makes the most beautiful music. It makes the most beautiful art. It makes the most beautiful boats. When I think of what my father did, like building wooden boats and his his carpentry and, you know, no matter what you're doing, you're drawing, you're taking photos, you're, oh, whatever you're doing, like you've got to be your most, what was, how, how did your friend say it to you? Be. Um, to be the most you yeah. that you can be. <laughs> be the most you that you can be. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That. That's, I think, all I've ever really tried to do at different points in my life without really knowing who I might have been yet or who I was yet. But mm -hmm. it was helping me find that. Does that make sense? Like, it was, it was like moving kind of parallel, like, uh, you know, who, who am I? Like, well, this feels really good. This is, this is like music, 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 and then... Like, how do I get, how do, how do you, how do I get me into my music? Well, it's me anyway, because it's me playing, right? That's right there. That's pretty easy to see and figure out. But what, what am I injecting into it? That's like coming from my true authentic self. Is it my, is it my, um, is it my rebelliousness, rebelliousness? Is it my anti-establishment? vibe is it my um desire that like and hope that like the the longing for like world peace is not like just this thing that's you know only a dream like um or like oh, this this whole idea that like <clears throat> life doesn't have to be like this everybody if everyone would just sit down <laughs> and chill out and like you know let's just be kinder to each other and you know, it sounds really cheesy, but like, 
that's, I want that to come through in my music. I want people to feel that it's okay not to know who you are. <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. it's also really kind of cool to know who you are um, and be confident about that. You're lucky if that's you, if you feel confident about it, you know, I, 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 I here, here's one. And this might help is like, I only realized in the last maybe five or six years that vulnerability is probably the key to mm. expression in what I, in music, like for me anyway, a dancer might say the same thing, or I'm talking about like what I physically do with the violin, right? I only began recently in my life to accept the fact that it was my sort of vulnerability that was what was kind of helping me to say something. And mm. doesn't that, it didn't make sense because it was like it, when you're vulnerable, you usually kind of hold back and you don't really say any, you, you, or you, I mean, you say stuff, but you're not a hundred percent confident or something. So I think that there's a really, um, I think it's I think that's part of the message too that the audience gets and that makes them feel better and comfortable is that holy moly like she's not really sure of herself or she's she's feeling vulnerable and that's coming across and that's making me feel okay about my stuff. Mm -hmm. You know? That's one example like and vulnerable vulnerability is just one part of it like you know the rebellion the rebellious the word rebellious is also a big part of my my um, process too. It's, it's it's great to have a a way to get that out, you know, without getting arrested. <laughs> yeah, <Right. laughs> without getting arrested these days. Yeah. Anyway, so that's 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 kind of where I'm at. That's right great. Now. Well, I've yeah very thoroughly enjoyed this conversation with you. <laughs> oh, Chris, thank you. I me too. Definitely. It feels good. It feels good to talk, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. and, it sure uh, does, and meet yeah. new people. It's it's a pleasure. It's really nice to meet you. And and, um, mm -hmm. and I, hope, I hope we get to see you up on the island for sure. For more information on the show, check out the episode page at peaksonradio.com slash Haran. That's H-O-R-A-N. For more stimulating conversations, check out the archives at peaksonradio.com or subscribe in your podcast app of choice. I'm going to leave you this week with a track from the Winifred Haran Quartet. Listening to it, you'll get a good sense of the type of music in store for the 17th. 